John 15, 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, as I come to uh, this text and I speak before your congregation, may my words be useful to your people, and may your spirit help us to hear and see and believe. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, this is one of those troublesome passages, not because there's troublesome text in it. It's because every verse in this isn't a profound statement. Every new idea in this one small little collection, one small little uh, passage that we could take a look at is time and time again. As the Father has loved me, so as have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Look at that connection that we have between the Father and the Son and us, and us remaining in the Son, and therefore, extension, being in the Father. We could literally stop and just spend the whole day looking at that. But let's move on. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. That's how we remain in Christ's love, by keeping his commands just as he has kept the Father's commands and remain in his love. Again, that flow and connection between the Father and the Son and us and the Son and the Father. One of the things I would like to stop at there is looking at Jesus' commands. If you keep my commands, yeah, absolutely. Of course, Jesus, we want to keep your commands. What, what are those commands? Does anybody, can anybody think of one, a command that Jesus gave? You can call it out. Do not be anxious. Let's see if I have that on my list. <laughs> I do now. No, no, I do. I have, don't worry. Good. Yeah, okay, good. I don't have an exhaustive list here to share with you because I, 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 I Googled a few, and I, some people have 55 commands of Jesus. I'm a, 40, a list of 49, and I thought it was interesting. Can any, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot, but can, do you think anybody here can list the Ten Commandments? I had two oral examinations for my ordination in the Presbytery of the East. My first one, I was not as prepared for. And I thought, you just walk into this, you meet with the people, they ask you some questions, and they see that you're a good guy. And so I didn't study, and I hadn't taken my written exams. And um, that's where we established a new policy that you take your written exams first. Uh, it's, the new Ken, it's the Ken Buck rule. So I got asked by someone, they tried to throw me a softball, and they said, can you name the Ten Commandments? 
I said, yeah, of course. And I started going, but I went out of order. And you know, once you start going out of order and you get to nine, you don't know which is the one that you missed. I failed that one. Needless to say, I went back and did a much better time the second time. Jeremy, did you get asked the Ten Commandments in your ordination? They followed it up with asking me if I could name the books of the Bible in order, and I told them, absolutely not. That's why I have a table of contents, and I use it. It did not impress the committee. But think about this, the commandments of Jesus, some of the big ones. When he was asked, what's the greatest commandment, what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, but he didn't stop there, did he? He followed it up with the, the kind of the other side of the coin. If you're going to love God, you have to love your neighbor. Great. Um, what's another great one of Jesus? A new commandment I give to you, love one another. And then he has the, 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 the trifecta of love. Love God, love neighbor, love, love one another. Then he goes all the way to saying, oh, you know it. Love your enemies. Oh, now that's when the rubber meets the road. That's when it gets real, doesn't it? It's easy to love those that we like to go to church with and agree with and have a confessional thing where we can stand up every Sunday and confess what we believe together. It's another thing to love people that seem to live in a way that wants to go against who we are and what we value. But Jesus said love them. So here's some, some of the other commandments that I just took as a short list. It's a long short list. Jesus said, uh, he gave us a command to repent because God's kingdom is here and is at hand. He, he encouraged people to follow him. He told us that we should rejoice. By the way, not rejoice when things are going good. He said, rejoice when you were persecuted for my sake. He told us to let our light shine in a world of darkness. He encouraged us to reconcile ourselves to one another when we have a problem interpersonally within the community. He, he, he told us that we need to avoid lust. He told us that we need to have our word mean something and that our yes should be yes and our no should be no. He told us that when uh, we are going, uh, when we're facing opposition, when we're facing even oppression, we should go the extra mile. Remember that? If the Roman guard comes up and says, hey, carry my pack for a mile, as they were legally allowed to do, Jesus said, go two miles. He said, turn the other cheek if someone strikes you. He also said, store up your treasures in heaven, so have a kingdom mindset, an eternal mindset. He said, pray privately, but also pray without ceasing. He said, do not judge others. He told us not to worry, not to fear. He told us to serve everyone from the bottom up and to seek the position of lowness instead of the position of highness. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He told the whole community to go and make disciples. He told them to baptize those disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He told them to teach those disciples to obey his commandments and all his teachings. He said that we must be born again and be born by the Spirit. And then, of course, don't forget this one. If you haven't already made a, a to-do list for yourself spiritually, just add this one on at the end. Uh, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Don't be overwhelmed, please. So here you have this challenge by Jesus to 
remember, if you want, I abide with the Father, and I do it through my obedience to him. And you can abide, you can remain, you can uh, be with me by obeying my commandments. See, now what does this remain, abide? Depending on the translation, you'll see uh, remain in me as I remain in the Father. You'll see abide in me. You'll see obey me as I obey the Father. All these are derivatives, English translations of this Greek word that I won't try to pronounce for you. So the question is, what does this mean to abide or remain? Is this what we're talking about of whether, like, uh, what we might kind of say in the church is being saved? Is this what we're talking about, the idea that we need to remain obedient to God or we're not in his family? I don't think that's what he's saying there. I don't think that we're talking about a salvation or salvific performance. I don't think that we're talking about being obedient to me to unlock new levels. You, if, you, if you're obedient to me, if you just confess me, you have this much love. If you're obedient in this area, you get to unlock a new love. A new reward. It's, no, that is not. That's how video games work. That is how promotion schemes at work work. But Christ does not put us in a performance scale, in a sliding scale of blessing. I think what he's saying when he tells us to remain, to abide, or to obey, I think what he's saying is that we need to place ourselves in the center of what God is doing. And how do we know that we're in the center of what God is doing? Obey his commandments. And when we do that, that's how we participate in this relationship. We participate in this oneness. We participate in this union with Christ. This summer's theme is we're taking a look at multiple aspects of this being, our being united with Christ and that it truly changes not only our eternity, but it changes our today. It changes our tomorrow. It changes our identity. It changes our mission and purpose for being on this earth. If we are united with Jesus spiritually, physically, eternally, it has to have an impact, doesn't it? That makes sense. So when we obey Jesus' commandments, we're now walking the Jesus path. When we obey God's ways, we are actually in the blessing of being an it's kind of like those people that I don't, I'm not one of these people, mind you, but some people like to, um, they like to find a nice piece of dirt and um, in the worst part of the day, lie down in it. Um, usually surrounded by some form of like salty water that fish swim in. I don't understand why people like to go down to the shore. It boggles, I grew up in Florida. I still don't understand it to lay down on dirt and get burnt. But one of the things that I've learned is if you want to get the burnt skin, you actually have to lay out when it's sunny. So that's a bad analogy, but if you want to be in the blessings of God, you have to be where he is. If you want to get the suntan, you have to be in the sun. If you want to be with God, you have to walk where he is. And the way we do that is through obedience. And we go back to that list of the commandments of Jesus that we need to have a regular sense of repentance in our life, that we need to choose to follow him daily, don't we? Sometimes even hourly, I have to stop and choose. No, nope, I'm going I'm to follow you, Jesus, again. We have to set our mind and our, our faces of how are we going to deal with persecution? How are we going to deal with people who don't like us? And whether they don't like us because of Lord Jesus or whether they don't like us because of, well, 
us. It doesn't matter how we respond to them. Jesus says there's ways to respond. How do we reconcile to our neighbor? How do we reconcile with our family members, with our church members? All these are ways that we can put ourselves in the path of the light, in the path of where God is moving. So he tells us to remain, to abide. And that that is how we participate in this relationship that he has brought us into. That's why he comes to this this re-echoing of John 13, where he said, I have a new command I give to you, love one another. He reinforces that again, both in verse 12 and verse 17. A new command I give you, love one another. So what is this love? Obviously, we know that love is one of these uh, loaded words. Turn on the radio. Do you think you can flip through the dial and find a song about love? Turn on a TV station. Do you think you'll find a story about love? Turn on a sports broadcast, and they're talking about loves. Right? We love so many things. And here in the English language, we, we have, uh, we, well, we, you can use the word love for the things you love, or you can use the word love for things that you love. Like, I love my children. I also love a cheesesteak. I love Arsenal, who lost yesterday to Manchester United in New York City. And I love Andrew, as I had to sit next to a Manchester United fan who was cheering every goal scored against my team. But clearly those loves of that sports team don't rival my love of Andrew. And my love of Andrew, nothing personal, does not rival my love of my children. And even that... I love my wife. It's different, isn't it? We are fixated on love as a culture, and yet we struggle to know what it means or know what it looks like or how to express it. We struggle when there's a a bond of friendship portrayed in a movie, and they happen to be two men or two women, and we automatically think it must be eros and not philo. We think it's automatically romantic and not brotherly or sisterly. You see, we've got this convoluted idea and misconceptions about love, and we twist the word so often, time and time again. And then Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. Like I like a cheesesteak? Or love one another, like I love my brother? Or love one another, like I love my children? You see, he gets it down into the nitty-gritty about it, Which love do you think he's talking about? My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, and they lay down one's life for one's friends. Do you have a list of people that you would take a bullet for, that you would jump over the cliff for, that you would jump in the water and swim after them for? I hope you don't actually have a list. I'm glad I didn't see someone pull out their phone and show me a note. Yes, and I don't see your name on it. (laughs) But there really is this kind of component that that is true sacrificial love. And why do we look at, why did Jesus say that? Because we know that he demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. While we were still far and separate from God, he, he gave his life to pay the penalty. He gave his life to defeat the enemy. He gave his life to conquer death. 
which is our number one nemesis as humans. We can live whatever life we find. We can live the most righteous and beautiful and rewarding and amazing life, but death still comes knocking at our door, doesn't it? And it snuffs out life. Jesus defeated it for us. Greater has no love than this. Greater love has no man than this that he gives up his own life for someone else. See, in this text, you may know, and many of you may know that there's, in, in, the, in the Greek language, there's at least three, maybe four different words for different types of love. So you can describe whether or not you love a cheesesteak, or love your friend, or love your spouse, or love your God. They have a difference between romantic love and friendship love and uh, familial love, and then agape love. Throughout this whole text, it's agape, agape, agape. It's the love that Jesus showed us, that the Father showed Jesus, and that we now show the world. Because that's the love being poured into us. If you want to know how I think about defining what agape is, we can put a lot of words to things. Um, Actually, I got sent a really good definition of love by one of our church members this week. It's the steady directing of the will to the eternal well-being of the other. Let me read that again. God's agape love is the steady directing of our will to the eternal well-being of the other. Now, that's very philosophical. That's very uh, loaded. Let me put it in a more of a way that I I connect with. Maybe this might help you as well if a steady directing of the will to the eternal well-being of the other doesn't connect with you. Think about a mother caring for her baby. That's God's love for us. Think about a mother who, despite her fatigue, wakes up in the middle of the night to comfort and to soothe and to coo, to care and to feed. Think about a mother who hears in this cry that is just literally taking the energy all out of her, and she finds joy in it. She finds light. That's the picture of love, of God's love, and the love that we are commanded to have for one another and for the world around us. Emily Askew notes, I put this in the bulletin, love in this passage is not a psychological state. That's much of what we think love is in our contemporary culture. It's a psychological state of happiness, joy, euphoric feeling. It's a, it's a feeling. Um, who is it that we need to quote? It's um, more than a feeling? Is that foreigner? Or is that Boston? Boston, okay. Thank you, Gen Xer. But it is more than a feeling. It's more than a psychological state. Love in this passage is not a psychological state, nor is it anywhere described as an internal quality that we possess inside. No, love is an action. Love is an action, a really difficult action. The definition of love here is a radical willingness to die, not for your child or spouse, but for the fellow follower of Jesus Christ. The willingness to go to the mat for one another. Now, Let's put this in context. If you are willing to go to the ends of the earth, to the most extreme situation for one another because we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, can you at least forgive each other for when we annoy each other? Can you forgive each other when we do things that wouldn't be the way I would have done it? 
Can we forgive each other when somebody said harsh words to you? It's so easy to get in these like crisis moments. Of course we're good in a crisis, but can we be good in the daily life? Uh, but what if, we, if, we, if we're good in the crisis, but maybe we struggle in, to be good in the grind. I think Jesus is calling us to be loving, sacrificially, even in the daily grind of life together. Is that as glamorous? No. Does that make for the great stories to be told to the generations to come? Probably not. Most of our acts of love that are just loving our neighbor, loving our friend, will, will be unheralded. They will be unnoticed. But they build a fabric, a tapestry of love that brings us to experience God's relationship with us. So I encourage us to be people who remain, who abide by obeying Jesus' commandments. Start going through that list and relearning and revisit those lists of all the things that Jesus wants us to be that are marks of his new community, that are marks of his kingdom. Then we can participate in a love that is not a psychological state or merely an internal quality, but, but a love that is real and tangible and active. You see... Why is this possible? We talked about it earlier. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves us. We receive the, 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 the Son's love and we return it back to Him, which then takes us into the Father. It's that whole cycle, that whole circle. Why is that possible? Because as we are united with Christ, we are no longer slaves. We are no longer enemies. We are now, what did Jesus say in the text? You are my friends. Now, some of us are loose with the F word. Some of us call any acquaintance we make a friend. And some of us are a little bit tighter circle with that. My best friend um, was in church over at Ashland EPC, and the pastor was talking about contrast, about friendships. He said, you know, some people have a whole bunch of friends. And, and some people just, you know, they have a really tight circle of like a dozen friends. And my introverted friend said, why so many 12? Oh, he, he literally, it wasn't a joke. He literally cringed at the idea of having to be like friends with 12 people because his concept and commitment of friend is, let's just say it's a higher bar than what I hold. I'm from the South. I'm from the Midwest. If we walk through a checkout line together, you're going to end up being some form of a friend. If in Ohio, all you had to do was drive past one another, and all you had to do was this. You're driving? That's friend. That's how you know you're a friend in Ohio. All you have to do is pass each other on the road, and you just give the... Or the head nod. You can do the head nod. Friend? They don't do that in New Jersey. They do have a gesture. I won't show you that one. You see, Jesus calls us friend now, and he means it like my friend Chris's concept of friend, not like my Lucy Goose says everybody's a friend. He says, you are friends with me. You are friends with God. We have a new identity in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. We are living new 
beings. Ephesians 2 talks about how the Jew and the Gentile are not just merged together to make a new person of, of, of a kind of a combination of both. It's that out of the old covenant and into the new covenant, a new humanity is created. Did you realize that you're a new human? Have you ever thought about that, that as you walk this life? New, I think in our tradition, we tend to focus on the depravity and the sinfulness and the negativity of our lives, which, don't get me wrong, is there. I raise kids. I see it. I, I look in the mirror. I see it. I know my heart. I see it. But there's something also very real about being in Christ. We are new creation, new humanity. And though we still hang on to the things of the past, we confess it. And we walk in newness of life. Let's remember that. Let's celebrate that. And when you're discouraged about your holding on to the sins of the past, remind yourself it's not just that, don't just be grateful that God forgives you. Remind yourself you are new. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. Not because you can free yourself, but because Jesus has already freed you. Let's walk in that newness of life. Our identity has been made real. It has been made tangible. In our obedience, we express it. In our obedience, we manifest. I hear lots of people talk about manifesting these days, and it's kind of like a regurgitation of of Peel's power of positive thinking kind of thing. How about we manifest this? Jesus said, you've been set free, so now walk free. Jesus said, you have been cleansed, so know that you have been cleansed. Jesus says, you can have anything that you ask of me if it's in his will. Wow. That's different. Too often we shape the view of ourselves on the negative. And too often we shape our mission on just getting out of here and getting there. Think about that. We've we've allowed this idea of what God has called the church to be, to be a getaway car to be an escape hatch, or uh, what do they have in the, in, the, in the planes? They just jettison you out. Like We, we just kind of want, my, my dad would always say that, may he rest in peace. He, he would talk on the phone, and when, when the news was bad, which means when he would watch it at 6 p.m., when the news was bad, he would tell me, can't wait long enough for Lord Jesus to return. This place is a mess. I don't think Jesus died to create a bunch of people hiding out in a hovel waiting for the escape pod to shoot. Too often we shape our faith on this desire to get somewhere, to this, to this destination. That's why we talk about soul winning, because we got to win the souls out of here and get them over there. And we talk about getting saved rather than talking about being saved. And we talk about in phrase of, when I finally get to heaven, we'll even sing songs, I'll fly away. But I don't think that's a picture of new heaven and new earth that Jesus was talking about in his kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, all this view is about escaping the present moment and the situation, but Jesus did not call us into a future salvation only, but he called us into a realized salvation today. The kingdom of God is at hand and is realized. Because why? Because he rose. He rose. Death has lost its sting Sin does not have dominion. We are no longer trapped in Egypt. We have been set free and are headed to the promised land. And that promised land isn't a destination. It's a journey with the person who's journeying with us. 
This is where if we had Baptists, they would say amen, but just for the record. Yet, see, this is why our, our union with Christ matters so much. We live now because he lives now. That's why he wraps up this passage by saying that we were chosen to bear fruit. Again, what does fruit mean? It means all the fruit that comes from living in obedience to what Christ has called us. It means all that fruit of an obedience when we reconcile to one another. All the obedience of a fruit when we let our yes be yes and our no be no. All the obedience, all, all the fruit that comes up from storing up our treasure in heaven and not just accumulating wealth here and living for ourselves here. It's, it's, it's when we have a community that doesn't judge others but serves one another from the bottom up. All that is the fruit that leads people to say, Jesus is real and I want him in my life. We were chosen to bear fruit, lasting, eternal fruit. We were chosen to be in Christ, to be filled with the Spirit and receiving whatever we ask from the Father. I, don't, I get nervous when I read this verse, to be honest. I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my Father I've made known to you. I'm good with that. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I can wrestle with that. And appointed so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you? Oh, that makes me get nervous, doesn't it? Now we're, getting to, now we're really getting to the, where the rubber meets the road of do we expect God to be alive and active in our lives, in our world now? Do we have the, the confidence or the courage or the chutzpah to ask God to do things now to make the world heal, to bring people peace? Do we have the willingness to do what it takes to put love into action? I like the idea that Jesus chose me and I can sit back and rest in him, but now he wants me to walk in him. So love one another. This is where we stop living a small faith, set on just uh, focusing on getting out of here and getting there. This is where we get out of a small face. It's, it's, it's fixated on getting converts and not making disciples. This is where we get a, a, a larger faith that understands that it's not just enough to believe a couple propositions that we can recite from 1,800 years ago, but that we live it and we love it and people see something different because it comes out in our walk, in our mouths, in our actions, and how we treat our neighbors and how we listen to them and how we love those that have what seems to us like crazy ideas. That's when we replace that small vision of faith with an abiding love that's large as God's love for Jesus and Jesus' love for us. The shift in mindset will make all the difference. So friends, love one another. Love one another, and this is how they, those in the darkness, this is how they, those who don't know Christ, this is how they, those who've walked away from Christ, this is how they, those who think this resurrected dead God-man story is a bit weird and odd, this is how they will see Jesus on earth today when we love one another with a love that's willing to go to the ends of the world for each other. Go and live that out. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, the words I said were very easy to say. 
But when I actually think about what that looks like, it gets a little tougher. And yet, Lord, it's not tough when we are in your light, when we are walking in your presence in obedience with you. Lord, help these commands be a new norm. Help these commands be just how we live. Help these commands be maybe a little terrifying at first, but just the freedom that we live in and the ways that we call discipleship, the ways that we call following. Lord, help us to walk like you walked, love like you loved, serve like you served, even be persecuted as you were persecuted, but rejoice in the midst of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.